Hello everyone, welcome back to the Casual Martial Artist with your hosts, Al and Marcus. So, how's it going today, Marcus? Pretty good, you man? Oh, not too bad. Uh, and we are going to be, this is going to be the first in a series of episodes, I almost said issues, but this isn't a comic book, so, <laughs> or, uh, so this is going to be the first in a series of episodes we're going to do. Uh, spotlight episodes. So th in these episodes, what we're going to do is we're going to talk specifically about one specific martial art, because a lot of times we've talked about, you know, our general experience in martial arts. Uh, we've also talked about specific topics, but in this case, we're going to just focus on one particular art. So we're going to talk about things like uh, how the art is different from other arts, uh, talk a little bit about the history of that particular martial art, maybe some notable practitioners, and, uh, you know, maybe talk, also talk a little bit about its effect on society or popular culture or entertainment. So for this first episode, we're going to be talking about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And this is something that, uh, Marcus, you're probably going to be carrying most of the conversation because I know I'm going to put my cards out on the table I really know, don't know a lot about BJJ. Mm -hmm. uh, most of it I know comes from either talking to you, the occasional BJJ practitioner I've met. Um, I did read the Wikipedia article on BJJ. And then also, I before recording, I watched a couple of uh, brief videos on uh, YouTube that were hosted by uh, Henner Gracie. So... Uh, and Kenny talked a little bit about some of the philosophy and the uh, history of BJJ. So let's get right into it. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of BJJ? So where it started, some of the, you know, who founded it, and a little bit about those early years. Well, um, the early 1900s, there was a Japanese immigrant that moved to Brazil, um, called called him Count Comte or Count Combat, Mitsuo Medakoma. He taught the Gracie brothers who whose dad was a diplomat, he taught them um, the style of judo that he had. It's um, Kosen judo, I don't know. You can still find videos of it on YouTube. Um, has a nice combination of throwing and groundwork because the rules that were out at that time in judo kind of lended itself to a little bit more ground fighting than they do now. Um, he taught it to the Gracie brothers, and they did, you know, Helio... Um, the most famous probably because he's the dad of most of the of Boyce Gracie um, and also Carlos Gracie, you know, the two most famous from that generation. They taught him to their sons and, and so on and so forth. And they would have um, what would, they called it Valetudo, but it was basically the MMA of that era. It was basically them against other martial arts from different, you know, other fighters from different martial arts or, um, other jiu-jitsu fighters, you know, wanting to see who was the best in their camp. So, And then they did challenge matches. People would come to see um, if, if there were a karate fighter or a kung fu fighter, if they could uh, best a jiu-jitsu fighter, and more often than not, they lost. Yeah, because I remember in one of the videos, uh, Henner was mentioning that uh, Helio was actually quite fragile and uh, as a child and actually tired very easily. Mm -hmm. And it, like he mentioned that, you know, he'd run up a flight of stairs and then he'd pass out and no one really knew uh, what was wrong with him. I mean, I don't know if there was any underlying like heart condition or something else that, 
uh, caused it. But I, I think you had mentioned he actually, because I know he lived to be into his 90s. Mm-hmm. And he was still grappling with people almost toward the end of his life. Yeah, so that's impressive. I mean, if if I live to be 95 and I'm still doing martial arts, I'll be happy. Right. <laughs> so, right, yeah, right. I, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a, a very strong testament to the to Brazilian jiu-jitsu and especially it's a, you know, it's grandmaster there how, yeah, he was able to remain, you know, uh, active and teaching, you know, up until almost the very end. Well, from what I understanding, he also lived a pretty clean lifestyle, no alcohol, no caffeine, no, um, no meat even. I think he ate mostly nuts and fruits and vegetables. Okay, so a combination of martial arts training and clean living. <laughs> exactly. So who knew? Yeah. Well, the so yeah, like I said, I thought that was interesting, and I remember we talked a little bit before when we were discussing mixed martial arts. How yeah, that was really big back then. Uh, the Gracies would uh, try to challenge uh, practitioners of other styles, and I think that's always a very good way to train in your martial art. Because, you know, again, just back in college, when most of my experience was with punching and kicking, if I was sparring against someone who was primarily a grappler or who had grappling experience, I quickly found out that I was on the short end of the stick because since I really didn't know much about grappling back then and I don't really know much more about it now... Uh, I, I think it really helped put you know point out uh, that I still had a you know I still have a lot to learn, right? And you know as it, as much as BAJJ has moved martial arts forward within the last ten fifteen years, it itself has been exposed as having holes too, and that's allowed people to fill you know the BJJ practitioners themselves to fill those holes with other martial arts. So um, it's going back and forth, pendulum swings. Yeah, and that's cool, and I, I think that's uh, something that is a hallmark of a, a real martial artist when you're willing to expose yourself to situations that will reveal flaws in your fighting style, and more importantly, you're willing to take whatever steps are necessary to fill those holes, you know, mm-hmm. to make yourself a more complete martial artist. Now, uh, with the... So, yeah, you mentioned the Valet Tudo, which more or less a predecessor to what we call mixed martial arts today. Now, when uh, people were doing Valet Tudo, was there, was it kind of like MMA where they do a little bit of boxing and a little bit of wrestling, or was it more kind of its own martial art where it did have set patterns of attack it used and set moves that it usually used, stuff that it avoided, or was it always primarily just a competitive combat sport? Um, it was pretty much... UFC, when before it evolved into the MMA sport you know nowadays, you know, no no gloves, no time limits, no anything like that. Um, you could fight with a gi, like Hoist Gracie did in the beginning. You can't do that anymore. Basically, it was whatever you brought to the table. And the BJJ guys didn't really have to bring much more than BJJ because all they had to do was, you know, clinch a guy, take him down, and then either ground and pound or submit him but um you know that in the modern era only worked so you know lasted so long because people started getting used to it and adding other things into their arsenal yeah because i remember uh watching a bit of a video 
and I apologize, I forgot what YouTube channel it was, but the guy who hosted it, uh, he did Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. And I think he was actually doing it as a guest appearance on another, uh, as another martial art uh, YouTuber. And he was mentioning that, okay, people were saying, okay, can something like Kung Fu be competitive in mixed martial arts? And that's one of the things he mentioned is that, you know, yeah, if you know techniques that aren't commonly used, and if you get good at applying them and using them, it can actually work out to your advantage because, you know, once certain techniques and certain styles of fighting start getting common and widespread in mixed martial arts, people start to learn how to defend against them. Right. And it sounds that's like what had happened in uh, with BJJ is that uh, one of the reasons Ho- uh, Hoist Gracie was able to dominate everyone is because at that time there weren't a lot, it seemed there weren't a lot of, uh, or at least in that particular tournament anyway, there weren't a lot of fighters that were used to defending against that particular type of style of fighting. Exactly. And you can see it in the women's division too, where Ronda Rousey basically trashed everyone until she came up against a woman who was good at what I what they call anti-grappling. You're basically staying on your feet and keeping someone at bay either with kicks or with a jab or something like that. And once she did, she didn't really know how to defend herself and got killed. Yeah. So we talk, okay, mentioned uh, Hoist Gracie, uh, again, a very prominent uh, figure in the world of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I want to talk a little bit more about him later. Uh, we talked about Helio Gracie, the founder. So, of course, he's pretty important to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But right. are, what are some Actually, other... I dispute that he's the founder. Um, you, you'll hear a lot of people say that, especially when they're selling product. But it was a collaborative effort. He, it was all the brothers together, him and especially the older brother, Carlos. Um, they all shared techniques. They all trained together. They all sparred together. What he did was basically adapt things because he had such a frail frame, adapted things more to his body type, where just about any you know skinny and scrawny person could pull off a move but being the founder eh, i i think the whole family is the founder okay mm-hmm. so what are some other uh are there any other prominent uh members of the gracie family um there was a gentleman he's no longer with his name carlos gracie he was helio's nephew um see now what i'm going to give you is like a really old perspective because i haven't really trained in a long time but um Carlos Gracie, he was, he's one of the first people who do, to do the tournament jiu-jitsu, you know, the, just uh, the gi competitions. Um, so he evolved, helped evolve the art that way before it was more um, self-defense geared or valetudo geared. Um, and then different ones, um, Hicks and Gracie, I mean, he did the, Hoyce's brother, he did the valetudo in Japan and, you know, some names um, all the way down to the modern era where you get into no-gi grappling, which they didn't have as a competition before, but kind of evolved, um, not even parallel to MMA, kind of after MMA, because um, when they had the Abu Dhabi tournaments. But, so I would see different fighters like Marcelo Garcia, um, Jakari, um, different guys. So it depends on what form you're talking about, whether it's MMA, whether it's um, no-gi grappling, or whether it's gi grappling okay and then are there who are some other notable practitioners that aren't part of the gracie family oh too many to name nowadays it's all (laughs) over the place 
Yeah. Um, who would I think? Because, um, see, everyone can chase their lineage to the Gracie family, but notable practitioners, just about any MMA fighter that, you know, well, I won't say any. A lot of MMA fighters have belt ranking in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but I guess the one that stands out to me most is BJ Penn. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He was a UFC fighter. I have not, no. Yeah, um, he's the one that stands out for me. Got a black belt in like two years, which is unheard of. So with uh, rank advancement, and we might actually be moving a little bit ahead here, but uh, with rank advancement in BJJ, I know they don't use as many belts. I think there's, what, like four or five belts, not including mm -hmm. like the red belt. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, the because I know you were mentioning before that it's – there's not really a set amount of time between belt testings. Uh, so it seems like it's more you learn what you learn when you're ready and that when you advance is actually more dependent on skill as opposed to how long you've been doing it. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, can... I... Hmm? Oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, your classmate can get his... Because the first one you get after white belt is blue belt. You might have a classmate that gets his in a year and you might not get your until three to five years that's the yeah. way it works yeah because i i don't remember uh which gracie uh said it but i know one of them mentioned that that's one of the things that he felt was that differentiated bjj from a lot of other martial arts is where it is less uh formal as as far as when you advance where mm -hmm. I, he was criticizing some martial arts schools and to be honest I think this is a fair criticism that with some martial arts schools, as he put it, you just show up, you, you know, you pay your fees and you get the belt. Exactly. So it doesn't matter whether you actually, you know, can truly properly perform the material. It's like, oh, you've been here for six months and you've paid your dues. So here's your new belt, sir. Exactly. <laughs> So what are some ways that you think sets uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu apart from not just other forms of grappling, but other martial arts? Um, the emphasis on, um, I don't want to say a passive style, but you almost got to say like the, because there's top grappling and bottom grappling. Um, the bottom grappling using the guard, various forms of the guard. Um, the omoplata also, which is not a guard, which is more of an uh, arm lock position but you cannot you, you don't have to be an aggressive grappler like a wrestler or something like that or a judoka and you can still be really really good you know just by playing defense the whole time and there's not a lot of martial arts that you can do that and matter of fact some of them in competition you'd be penalized for being so you know defensive yeah and you know that's a good point because uh again in one of the videos with uh henner that i was watching he mentioned he asked uh, his grandfather how he beat all those other guys. Mm -hmm. And he said, I didn't. I let them defeat themselves. Exactly. Or, you know, something to that effect. And, yeah, he mentioned the point you did where, and, again, this is one of the things that I think, uh, you know, makes BJJ effective as a martial art and a form of self-defense is he was mentioning t efficiency, timing, and distance management. So, and again, this all ties into how we were mentioning that Helio, uh, how he was not the most robust of children and, you know, how he was so frail in his youth as he had to find ways to 
uh, make the martial art work for him. So that's where he, and again, I think I forgot whether I read this or it was in the video, but he would have problems with some of the more aggressive judo maneuvers mm-hmm. um, where he wasn't as good as taking people down. But yeah, once he got you to the ground, he could pretty much do whatever he wanted with you and there was nothing you could do about it. Right, right. So one of the things that he did mention, distance management, which honestly I think that is a component of martial arts that I I think some schools don't really go enough into that. So Mm -hmm. what does that mean to you, this idea of distance management? Um. Personally, as someone who trains, it means finding out what distance you're comfortable at and finding out how best you can control that. Um, you got you you must learn every every distance in fighting, close range, grappling range, clinch range, and long range. You know you you have to learn every one, but you will more often than not be comfortable in one over the other. So to me, it means learning learning that. Now, in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu case, um, you used to pretty much mean getting your clinch, um, going for your takedown, and then grappling on the ground when it was, you know, when you hit the ground. Okay, and yeah, because that's one of the things I remember uh, we we worked a little bit about with that in Kung Fu, uh, where again, you know, you how sometimes, yeah, you have to try to, you might want to try to keep your opponent at a distance, but and I don't know if this was entirely just my preference or if it was just something in Kung Fu that kind of worked with me, but yeah, I always felt more uh, comfortable at closer range. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm one of those people I like to, you know, get in there and, you know, while I don't in Kung Fu, we didn't really do any sort of ground fighting. Uh, we did do takedowns and we did do standing joint locks. So that's one of the things that I always liked about that particular style. Um, but yeah, what I, just from what I, little I learned about it, I'd have to say probably efficiency is really what seems to make, uh, BJJ as effective as it is. Exactly. Cause again, he, and I, I think he, Julio, not, I'm sorry, not Julio, Helio said at best, yeah, you let your opponent defeat themselves because, uh, he was saying that a lot of these bigger guys he fought, they would tend to burn themselves out. So if he could get them to the ground, you know, as long as he can control them, you know, he couldn't, he wouldn't let them up. Yeah, they, they would use up all their energy trying to either get out of the, you know, whatever position uh, Helio had them in, or if he managed to get like a lock or a chokehold on him, they would use up all their energy trying to escape that hold and that would result, that would let him win the fight. Exactly. So now, do you know approximately when uh, BJJ came to America? I know they mentioned it in the video, but I I didn't take note of it. And uh, because I think it's interesting, the story about exactly how it came to America and how it became popularized here. Um, From what I know, it was first brought here by, um, see if I remember his name, Horian Gracie, Um, the oldest brother of that clan, Hoyce's oldest brother, um, came to the U.S., um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, originally to be an actor, because I believe there's a Three's Company episode where he's like, comes out at the end, believe it or not. Um, But, you know, he opened up that school basically to 
because he wanted to spread the art around. And basically, it was like a, a basement school kind of at first. Not a whole lot of students, but, you know, it was a core group and then people who would drift in and out. But he would do the challenge matches, you know, so he could attract more students. So you'd have people coming over or he'd, you know, put it out there that he, he's willing to do that. And you'd have people, you know, karateka or judoka or kung fu fighters wanting to test your skills against him. Yeah, because, okay, uh, according to Wikipedia, in 72, Carly Gracie moved to the U.S. In 78, he was followed by uh, Horion. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, and uh, what Henner was saying in that one of the videos was that, yeah, he mentioned the they they taught out of his garage because uh, Horion couldn't find wouldn't find a place that would let him teach, and he actually had an interesting uh, marketing gimmick. It seems like, uh, yeah, he did the whole thing with the you know the Gracie challenges where he invited you know fighters from other styles to come and and you know fight with him, but what he did is okay. The first lesson was free. And then he was saying that, okay, well, the next time you came back, if you bought a, brought a friend, then that first class for the friend was free and your class was free as well. So in theory, if you could keep bringing new friends to, uh, to train, then they would, uh, you know, you could theoretically train for free for a while. So, and that's one of the things I have to respect about him because all too often, you know, we hear stories about martial artists seeing teaching martial arts as little more than a way to make money. And it seems that, you know, what Horian was more interested in doing was spreading the style and passing it on to other people outside of his family. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's definitely very respectable. Uh, but, um, Yanni, Henner was saying that there, there was a time where there was like, he was teaching 130 people a week. And not only that, there was actually a waiting list to get into his classes. Wow. So one of the things that's interesting is, honestly, I don't remember hearing much about BJJ until uh, the, really until about the early to mid 90s, uh, because I mentioned before in one of our earlier episodes, uh, I first started studying martial arts when I went to college in 94, and uh, while there, my college roommate, when he went home for, and again, I don't remember if he went home for a break or if he just went home for a weekend, but when he came back, he brought uh, one of the first UFC tapes, and that mm-hmm. was the one where uh, Hoist Gracie won. So, And then after that, it just exploded where you started to see BJJ almost everywhere. Exactly. So, yeah, and... And again, I think Henner was mentioning that at the time, more people were attracted to like the Bruce Lee style of martial mm-hmm. arts where, you know, everything, you know, you had all these pretty looking punches and kicks and forms where right. with some of the BJJ stuff, it might not look as pretty, but you can sure, certainly bet that it's just as effective, if not more. Right. Well, personally, I remember hearing them, I want to say the late 80s because um, I used to read Black Belt Magazine a lot, and they came out with a video called um, Gracie Challenge. You know, it was basically a lot of Gracie Challenge matches, and they sold it in Black Belt. And they did a little small article about it, basically complaining that it wasn't an instructional, that it was more or less them in their challenge matches. <laughs> it, was so, basically, yeah, so I, it was basically 60 yeah, minutes of uh, the Hoisey family kicking people's asses. 
Pretty much. Or the, the Gracie and family, yes. I remember Gracie. hearing about it, but I never saw it until later. And I, so when I heard of them, I said, oh, good, that's that family that I had heard about. Um, but personally in my training, I always patterned myself, my training after the, at first, you know, back when I was younger, after the JKD people. And they've been emphasizing grappling since Bruce Lee himself. So, you know, I always tried to add some wrestling, tried to add a little bit of judo, whatever I could, uh, you know, some other holds that I, I kind of knew from the British pro wrestlers that I watched. So I always tried to add a little bit of that in addition to kickboxing and Western boxing. So when a style, like, more sophisticated style like theirs came along, then, you know, pretty much right up my alley. One of the things I did notice, though, and and this is entire, I might be wrong on this, but mm-hmm. it seems other than in the world of competitive martial arts uh, fighting, it seems that there hasn't been as much influence in of BJJ in popular culture and entertainment. Again, we're not including UFC and competitive combat. That's something entirely different. Because, uh, of course, we can, you know, we've all seen a few kung fu movies, and then you got stuff like The Karate Kid, where, you know, karate is the prominent martial art. And, of course, you occasionally, uh, you do hear, you know, stories about certain actors who, um, you know, who study BJJ. Like, one of them I found out, Ed O'Neill, uh, you know, who mm-hmm. played Al Bundy on Married with Children. I read an interview with him where he uh, started doing BJJ mostly as a means for fitness because he had kind of let himself go and he was looking for a way to get back into shape. So he Mm -hmm. ended up training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I think he even trained with one of the Gracies themselves. So so I thought that was interesting because I was always a big fan of Married with Children back when I was a kid. So I mean, not including... So yeah, not including... uh, you know, actors who have taken uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu lessons. Can you really think of many, like, movies or TV shows or anything like that where BJJ played a really prominent role? Not really. I remember their cousins, the Machado brothers, doing a Walker, Texas Ranger, but that's about it. Yeah, because the only, the only movie that I can think of off the top of my head where Brazilian jiu-jitsu was... Uh, was prominently featured was a movie called red belt which i've never heard i've never actually seen i you know i just remember hearing a little bit about it um but yeah other than that it's not it didn't really seem bjj had an effect like uh, you know like kung fu did on the movie industry or like you know ninjas did or anything like that so do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing probably a good thing because um one of the things it did is exposed real from fantasy type training um it's a bit too real for some people so you know it's a good thing to know the difference between a a martial art quote unquote the art part or in the you know something that's more practical yeah and i i think you made a good point there and yeah i i think i agree with you there because uh yeah one of the problems of course is whenever something gets popular uh, there's this tendency for the media and for popular culture to blow everything out of proportions. Um, hence exactly. why, you know, people think that if you know Kung Fu, it's like you somehow know something akin to magic or, 
You right. know, if you're if you're a ninja, that means you can turn invisible, sneak up behind someone, and slit their throat when without them knowing it. But yeah, and I, I think since I, I think BJJ is for the better since most of the exposure has been through things like UFC and competitive fighting and mixed martial arts, because it shows that you know, as I mentioned before, it might not look pretty, but it's sure as hell is effective. Right. So we've mentioned before that you've actually had some experience and some training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So how did you come to start practicing BJJ? I um, met some people at UWO, you know, back when I was there. Um, one guy who was, he had a blue belt at the time. I met him and was promoted to purple toward the end of our training relationship. Um, and there was two other guys, one of them a judoka, one of them a Muay Thai guy. We all basically just shared techniques and shared training together. Um, did some training with some other people like, at different schools, uh, one in Beaver Dam and one in Fond du Lac. But um, the drive back, you know, because not everyone was doing it. This is back in 97, 90, 96, 97, 98. So it's not um, like today where there's, where in most major cities, there's a BJJ studio on every block. <laughs> exactly. You had to go out of your way back then. So I trained with them for a couple of years and... Got pretty decent, if I do say so myself. But, um, <laughs> you know, haven't trained in almost 20 years, so my cardio, I'm sure, is crap. <laughs> yeah, and now, what were some of your thoughts when you were practicing it? I mean, was it like, uh, I mean, did you think, like, this was going to turn you into a total, you know, badass mother or did, was it just something you did more for, like, exercise and something for enjoyment, or just something you did because... You never really knew when you would need to defend yourself. Well, for, well, first of all, um, I always knew there were holes in my training, and I knew one of those big holes was grappling. Now, I didn't know, you know, that there was so much more, like, you know, clinching and, uh, you know, stand-up grappling. But I know new grappling on the ground was one of my weaknesses, you know, because I knew how to wrestle, but I can totally see where I would have laid myself out there for an arm lock or something like that. So I knew that that would be one of the things that was going to, you know, fill those holes up. Second of all, I wanted to be an MMA fighter back in the day. So I kind of trained with that in mind. You know, I never came to fruition as we talked about before, but it was something that I had wanted to do because I had done boxing and I'd been successful. And I thought, well, that's my next challenge is to do MMA. And granted, MMA back in the day, that's when, you know, guys were making, what, $200 a fight or something like that. Yeah, I remember you were mentioning that where it's like, you know, you would think that, you know, getting into the ring there and beating up someone and the physical danger involved, they'd actually pay you better. But it's like, yeah, two, three hundred dollars a fight. And exactly. okay. And if you have to, I mean, even if you fought like once, a, you know, once or twice a week, it would still be kind of hard to make a living off of that. Right. And I didn't want there to be something out there like I knew and saw how effective BJJ was. And I couldn't – I'm the kind of person that I can't live knowing that there's something out there that good and I, I can't experience <laughs> it and do it myself. So and so it seems like you liked it for that reason that you you know the, you recognize its effectiveness. Now, with BJJ, is there really any sort of predominant philosophies uh, with the the art? I mean, as far as you know – do they really talk, get a lot into philosophy? Um, I mean, I'm sure they talk a lot about, uh, 
you know, not going out and trying to beat people up or anything like that. Uh, you know, not starting street fights. Because I remember uh, right. Henry was saying that, you know, how many street fights I've been in? Zero. Right. Um, I don't know. It's changed a lot. But in my day, there was no philosophy, really. You know, they expected you to come in respectful because if you weren't, you were going to get tooled on, on the mat. So it kind of policed, the whole system kind of policed itself. Nowadays, there's probably a little bit more because there's a lot of kids that, you know, sign up and do grappling tournaments. So it's probably evolved into something a little bit more family friendly. Yeah, because I, and again, I remember one of the things that uh, Henner was saying, and I'm not sure if this is a BJJ type philosophy or just something that he picked up over time. But he was saying that a lot of times one of the reasons he thinks people go out and get into these fights is because they feel like they have to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. And it seems that a lot of BJJ guys, they don't really feel the need to go out and prove themselves. You know, they mm -hmm. don't feel like they have to go out and beat up people to prove that, you know, BJJ is an effective art or to prove that they're effective martial artists. And, you know, again, as I mentioned before, just a lot of the BJJ practitioners I've met, which like I said, isn't really a lot of them. They all usually came out as off as really chill people, you know, mm -hmm. the kind of guy that, yeah, you go out on the mat, they'll, they'll, they'll tap you out, but then they'll go out and they'll have a beer and hang out with you later. And, you know, act like, you know, and they're not going to rub that in their face. Uh, so that's right. one of the things I liked about the BJJ practitioners I've met. And again, I think this, uh, oh yeah, I remember something I was going to bring up before, but uh, going back to the whole, why it's probably good that BJJ never really had much of an impact on popular culture is, do you think that it may have started to attract the wrong people? Because uh, I'm just, I'm not picking on Krav Maga, but... I knew someone who took some classes in it and he felt that when Krav Maga started to get popular in, in, in pop culture, it almost cheapened the art in a way uh, because mm -hmm. what really catapulted that particular art into the mainstream was the movie with Jennifer Lopez enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after that, all of a sudden, you know, a Krav Maga schools, started to pop up like pimples on a teenager's face. And right. part of the problem he noticed at the place he did it, it attracted more people. Some of the people, they were just there because they wanted, they thought it was going to make them all badass, And they wanted to, they, they wanted to go out and beat people up. Um, and then also not only that, because it was starting to get more popular, a lot of the instructors started to raise their rates and I, I don't know what the going rate for BJJ classes is in our area here. I don't know if it's had that same effect where it started to attract the wrong people and if it caused the uh, cost of classes to start going up. Um, in a way, it attracted the wrong people, not quite the way Krav Maga did because it attracted some, a lot of meatheads and people that would come out and want to try to hurt other people. But like I said, that usually polices itself. Um they usually get, you know, humbled on the mat. You know, you, you know, you can be a badass and your athleticism can be better than someone else's, but eventually you're going to come up with someone who's way better than you. I mean, it happens to everyone. I've seen guys with world titles in grappling 
go up against another guy who's way better than him and get tooled. So, I mean, your ego is going to get shot down no matter who you are. So on that level, yes, um, it attracted some of the bad people. But I think also some of the style itself, especially if you watch grappling tournaments, it doesn't lend itself to uh, good cinematography. You couldn't, you can't film, you know, part of the beauty is like filming kung fu guys or karate guys against multiple opponents. You know, you're not going to fight, do a grappling match against multiple opponents, you know, not if they're reasonably healthy adults. Yeah, and, and I can see what you mean because, yeah, the, I mean, like kung fu, taekwondo, karate, they have all these beautiful athletic kicks, but, you know, as we mentioned before, okay, BJJ, the practitioner goes in, he blocks your kick, takes you down, and puts you in a chokehold, which, of course, would be effective in a real fight, but doesn't look quite as as pretty or as dramatic on the the actual on the film, you know, on screen. Exactly. So, if you had to recommend BJJ to a certain type of person, who would you recommend BJJ to? I mean, do you think it's like something where it's better if you're just interested in fitness? Do you think it's best if you're interested more in self-defense? Or do you think it's one of those arts that is great for people who not only want to get in better shape, but also want to learn how to be able to defend themselves? Because, uh, I mean, I'm sure we... I, I know you would recommend it for anyone who wants to do competitive fighting. Because, as we've talked about before, you know, nowadays with the mixed martial arts scene, you need to be diverse. So... Mm-hmm. If you want to go far, you're probably going to need to do some form of BJJ or at least some form of grappling. Right. I'd recommend it to people who want to become more well-rounded martial artists, especially if they're exclusively stand-up martial artists. I wouldn't recommend it if self-defense is your only goal because BJJ by itself is not the best self-defense, quote-unquote, martial art in the world. It's the elements of elements of grappling and ground fighting have to be included if you're learning self-defense. But BJJ itself, in my opinion, is not going to work. You're going to have to know, you know, not to be a purist if you're going to learn self-defense. I don't know. I've seen some of the techniques they used to teach for self-defense back in the day, and I wasn't really impressed with them. They were like old style stand-up jujitsu moves and I guess they would work against some people, but I wouldn't trust them to work against a guy twice my size. You know, I know that's going to sound controversial. It also depends on the instructor. If the instructor has put together a program that's not just solely BJJ-based, but based on other practical techniques, kind of like the Dirty Dozen like we were talking or we oh. talked about <laughs> earlier. Oh, yeah. Wait, what was that? That was like yeah, episode two, I think, we did the Dirty Dozen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you've got a guy who knows something like that or, you know, is – put together his own philosophy and the techniques to go with it, that's fine. But most grappling schools that I've seen don't have that kind of sophistication as far as self-defense goes. Um, so, yeah, if, if you want to put it as a component to your self-defense training, fine. But BJJ by itself, it's not going not gonna to do it. Okay. Not pure BJJ. Okay. So that's good points. And, uh, yeah, and uh, like I said, I, I know in this episode, Marcus has definitely carried the conversation. And, and again, it's just because, and I'm, uh, which is good because since you actually have more experience in this particular art, um, you, you know, you can give, I, I think you can give better answers than I can since, mm-hmm. well, I don't know, does getting my butt kicked by someone who practices BJJ count as experience with it? Or is that just getting my butt kicked? 
It does actually, because <laughs> you know what you're talking about. Actually, you know you've been there, so you know based on your training what BJJ can do. Yes, I know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a triangle choke. Yay! Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well. Like I said, this is our first of our uh, spotlight episodes, so hope you all enjoyed it. And I know there's other arts I want to talk about. I mean, I definitely want to talk about kung fu uh, and Eskrima somewhere down the line. Um, I, I'm sure we'll probably also talk about Taekwondo because I know that's another really popular martial art. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd also like to talk about some of the arts that get a bad name like Tai Chi or Aikido. Uh, mm -hmm. Looking forward, are there any arts that you want to do spotlights on? I don't know, maybe Wing Chun sometime or Muay Thai or the variations of. Like a lot of countries in the surrounding area have their own form, and China has their own type of kickboxing, so I had to do like a, a kickboxing episode or something like that. Okay. Yeah, and uh, for the listeners, of course, if there's any martial art that uh, you'd you know like to see us cover, you know, please, you know, send us an email, uh, POIGamestudio at gmail.com. And like I said, we'll, um, you know, especially I think it'd be fun for an art that neither one of us has any hands-on experience with, which, of course, the problem with that is and everything is going to be just more research-based. But, yeah, if, you, if there's an art you want to see us cover, or even if there's just a topic you'd like to see us cover, drop us a line. So with that said, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in and until next time keep those kicks above the belt and below the face and whatever you do don't get into a chokehold they it is not yeah, pleasant <laughs> talk to you later everyone check out the guys over at eclectic media project they bring you podcasts such as musically challenged whose podcast is it anyway want to hear something interesting and their newest podcast page 3.14 news Check them out on Podbean and iTunes at Eclectic Media Project, on their website at www.eclecticmediaproject.com. Check them out as they are the home with a little something for almost everyone. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio.